Well, as I said, we're going to be uh, looking at Psalm 22 today, so let's turn our attention there. Psalm 22. Now, so over the next few weeks, we are going to stay in book one of Psalms, but we're going to go slightly out of order um, to commemorate Holy Week. So today and next Sunday, Palm Sunday, we're going to be in Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is the psalm that Jesus quoted from the cross. Uh, And Psalm 22 is also going to be our guide for Good Friday and our Good Friday service. Then on Resurrection Sunday, we're going to be in Psalm 16, uh, which Peter tells us David wrote with the resurrection of Jesus Christ in mind. So uh, Psalm 22, Psalm 16, and then we'll, uh, Lord willing, get back into the flow of the order of the Psalms of Book 1 after that. Uh, But for now, we'll be in uh, Psalm 22, so if you are able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Today, we're primarily going to be focused on verses 1 through 21, uh, but we'll read the whole psalm for context. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why Have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you are fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You Lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me 
from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That he has done it. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Psalm 22 is a meditation on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It was written hundreds of years before the crucifixion of Jesus. But Psalm 22 is a meditation on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And I say that because I believe that's how Jesus... And the apostles read Psalm 22. And I want you to see this. Before we dive into Psalm 22 in detail, I want to show you a couple of New Testament passages. First of all, most obviously, Jesus himself recited Psalm 22 from the cross. Matthew 27, 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice as he's being crucified, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus applied Psalm 22 to his suffering on the cross. The author of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 22 in Hebrews chapter 2, and he's writing about Jesus, and then he says in verse 11, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. So the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the one who said the words of Psalm 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers. And then take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 
keep a finger or bookmark in Psalm 22. We'll be right back. But I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 1 with your own eyes and see this. After having just read Psalm 22 for ourselves, I hope that you'll see that it seems that Peter had in mind Psalm 22, among other passages, when he wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So Peter refers to these prophecies about the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Well, if ever... There is an Old Testament passage about the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It's Psalm 22. Uh, With the exception of Isaiah 53, no other passage even comes close to being as much about the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And Peter says here that these prophets who wrote these passages were writing about the grace and salvation that would come through Jesus. He says God even revealed to them at that time that they weren't writing for themselves. But to use a phrase from Psalm 22:30, they were writing for the coming generation, a generation yet unborn. Well, and then finally, I, I mentioned briefly before about Peter in Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, he was preaching about Jesus, and he says this about Psalm 16 in Acts 2. For David says concerning him, Jesus... You will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. And so Peter says that David wrote about Jesus by saying, You will not abandon my soul. So David was writing in the first person. It sounds like he was writing about himself, but Peter says that when David said, My soul, he meant Jesus' soul. And then he goes on to say about David being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So like we saw in 1 Peter, in Acts 2, Peter says that God revealed truth to David about Jesus Christ. And so this shows us that at times, David was writing psalms knowingly about Jesus Christ, even though it sounded like he was writing about himself. He was intentionally writing in the first person about Jesus. So if we, if we take all this together, consider just what we've seen. Jesus applied Psalm 22 to himself. The author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 22 and says, those words are Jesus' words. Peter says prophets wrote about Christ's suffering and glory, and they weren't writing for themselves, but for us. 
And then Peter also says that David at times wrote psalms as a prophet referring to Jesus in the first person as I, me, and my. So taking all of this into account, I believe the New Testament teaches that while David may have had his own suffering in view when he wrote Psalm 22, he did not write Psalm 22 primarily about himself. He actually wrote Psalm 22 primarily about Jesus. And so today, we are going to primarily focus on how Psalm 22 is about Jesus. Let's turn back there together. Psalm 22. What we see in Psalm 22 is that God wants his people to know that the king they serve is a king who suffered. God wants his people to know that the king that they serve is a king who suffered. And this is important for many reasons, but let me just offer two. First, we need to know how our king suffered because he suffered for us. We need to remember the agony, the pain, the death, because that's our salvation. And second, we need to know how our king suffered because we suffer. When we suffer, we can find great comfort in Jesus's suffering. When we suffer, we can look to Jesus as our example of how to suffer. As we look at the flow of Psalm 22, this psalm, you may have noticed, ends in, in triumph. It ends in praise. It ends with all the nations celebrating the salvation of the Lord. And this is the triumph that Jesus promises his people, uh, that we'll be satisfied in him, we'll live forever, uh, that he'll reign over all the earth. But before the crown comes the cross. That's how it was for Jesus, but that's how it is for us as well, his people. Before the triumph comes suffering. Before the crown comes the cross. This is the essence of Psalm 22. The king who rules the nations is the king who suffered death. The king who rules the nations is the king who suffered death. Next week, we'll focus on the, the king who rules the nations as we look at verses 22 through 31 and the praise of the delivered. But this week, we're going to focus on the king who suffered death and consider the prayer of the despised in verses 1 through 21. Verses 1 through 21 of Psalm 22 follow a pattern. Uh, first, David describes an element of suffering, and then he turns his attention to God. And three times, he describes his suffering, and then he says, yet you, yet you, but you. And so this creates then six alternating sections, and we're going to look at each of them in turn. First of all, we see the king suffering God's abandonment. Suffering God's abandonment in verses 1 and 2. 
Verses 1 and 2 describe the pain of God seeming to be distant. The king begins, and he doesn't just say, God, God, why have you forsaken me? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His cry is deeply personal. This is the same God who in, verse, or in, in Psalm 2 said to this king, you are my son. Yet now God has abandoned his son. In what sense is the king forsaken? Well, the second line of verse 1 says, Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? The king is suffering, but God is not saving. The king is in harm's way, but God is not delivering. He's not stepping in to stop it. The king is groaning, but God is silent. Verse 2. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Day and night, crying out, no answer, no rest. God is not saving his king. God is not speaking to his king. The king is suffering God's abandonment. But next we see the king remembering God's deliverance. In verses 3 through 5, the king recalls God's past deliverance. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you are fathers trusted... They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. So this God who is not saving, this God who is not speaking, is the God who is holy. He's the one who dwells with his congregation. He delivered Israel in the past. And, I mean, just think about the the exodus from Egypt Uh, The conquest of the promised land. uh, The period of the judges where time after time after time the people of God cried out to the Lord and he rescued them. And, And so the king recalls how God delivered his people in the past. And as he recalls this, he admits there is nothing wrong with Yahweh. He is holy. He is faithful. He is able to hear. He is able to save. So the suffering that the king is experiencing does not come from any way in which God is lacking. No, God has chosen not to save. God has chosen not to speak. He has chosen not to stop the suffering, and he has done so for a holy purpose. What is that holy purpose? Well, that brings us back to the opening question 
the question that Jesus asked from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer for Jesus was clear. He was forsaken because of sin, but not his own sin. Isaiah 53.6 tells us that God laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God made Jesus to be sin, though he knew no sin. 1 Peter 2.24 tells us that Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree. And Habakkuk 1.13 tells us that God's eyes are too pure to see evil. God cannot look at wrong. Those iniquities laid upon Jesus made a separation between the king and his God. As Isaiah 59.2 describes, the sins of the world hid God's face from Jesus so that he did not here. Instead of God's face of blessing shining upon Jesus, the Father turned his face away and poured out his wrath on his Son. Christ became the curse that the law required. God condemned sin in the flesh of his Son. King Jesus suffered and God did not save him because Jesus was suffering in order to save the world. Jesus was forsaken so that all who trust in him would never be forsaken. The king goes on then to further describe suffering man's ridicule. Verses 6 through 8 describe the mocking of those who see the king's suffering and not being saved. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. As if the king's suffering itself wasn't enough of a crisis of faith, he's mocked by those who see him. In effect, they say, why isn't the God that you're trusting in saving you? If God thinks you're so special, king, then why doesn't he rescue you? These are questions that God's people in every generation wrestle with. If I have faith, why do I suffer? If God loves me, why doesn't he deliver me? These are questions that Jesus dealt with. Turn with me to Matthew 27. Look at verses 39 to 44. 
And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Notice the mockers are the chief priests and the scribes and elders. Those who should have known the scriptures best demonstrated that they did not understand Psalm 22. They didn't understand that the Son of God wasn't saving himself because he was saving others. The king of Israel didn't come down from the cross so that people could believe in him and have everlasting life. God chose not to deliver Jesus from the cross so that he could deliver him from the grave along with all who trust in him. But because the keepers of Scripture didn't understand Scripture, they fulfilled Scripture in the worst way as the king suffered their ridicule. But in Psalm 22, the king then shifts to remembering God's care. Let's go back to Psalm 22, looking at verses 9 through 11. After recording the mocking, the king again turns his attention back to God in verses 9 through 11. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. <coughs> Verses, the king specifically recalls God's sovereign care over his life from birth. David could say this, recalling how he was born into the community of God's covenant people. From birth, Yahweh was his God. And for Jesus to say this would recall God's sovereign care in a number of ways, including the miraculous intervention and the virgin birth. And in both cases, God demonstrated his faithfulness to his king even when he was still in the womb. And so, in light of this, in verse 11, the king makes his request to this God who has now forsaken him. Be not far from me. Because trouble is near and help is far away. He asks this God who seems distant to come near and save. And he'll turn to this request again. But after describing his suffering in one more way. We've seen how the king is suffering. Including God's abandonment and man's ridicule. Well, we see one last aspect of the king's suffering. 
suffering unto death in verses 12 through 18. The king describes the extreme physical pain he is experiencing at the hands of his enemies. He describes first his enemies in verses 12 through 13. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Well, the, the bulls of uh, Bashan were known for their great size, you know, larger than the average bull, I guess. And so the king is looking at his enemies and he sees them as these large, fierce, beastly enemies who are trying to devour him. Then he goes on to describe his own physical condition in verses 14 and 15. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Consider these images. A body poured out like water, limp, weak, bones out of joint. A heart like wax melted. He's broken and dried up like a piece of pottery. His tongue is dried out. He's laid in the dust of death. This is a portrait of a body left for dead. The king goes back to describing his enemies then in verses 16 through 18. He says, dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. So these wild beasts are encircling him. They've left holes in his hands and feet like the bite of a lion. He's stretched out in a way that he can see his bones through his skin. And his enemies are gloating over him. They consider him as good as dead, ready to divvy up his clothes among themselves. This is literally a portrait of enemies staring at a lifeless body about to die. And this is unlike anything that we know of that David experienced in his life. But the son of David experienced literally just this. Turn with me to John 19. In, uh, in verse 18, we see that they crucified him, piercing holes in his hands and his feet. And then in verses 23 and 24, John tells us when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, 
also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. King Jesus suffered unto death. Well, after alternating between describing his suffering and reminding himself of God's faithfulness in the past, the king concludes this section of Psalm 22 requesting God's salvation in verses 19 through 21. The king began a petition in verse 11 that he now picks up in verses 19 through 21. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. So just like he said in verse 11, here again he says, do not be far off. He cries for the God who seems distant to come near. He begs God for help. He calls God, my help. He cries to his help to deliver his life. He pleads with God to rescue him from these beastly enemies. And what we see at the end of verse 21 is the king's confidence that God will in fact, rescue him as he says, you have rescued me. And from this point on, as we read before, this psalm takes a dramatic turn. The rest of the psalm is a celebration. The king tells of how he'll praise God in the congregation of Israel for his deliverance. And what we'll see next week is that God did, in fact, deliver his king. God abandoned his son for a moment, but he did not abandon him forever. He did not spare his life from death, but he did deliver his life from the grave. He saved his life even after death. And now the salvation that God gave to his king is a salvation that can, that can be enjoyed by all the nations of the earth. But that's next week. For now, let's consider some implications of these verses that we've just looked at. First of all, as we see the king who suffered death, the, the most immediate response that we should have is to trust in this king. Trust in the king who suffered for you. King Jesus suffered as a substitute for sinners. He was forsaken by God so that you could be reconciled to God. He was ridiculed by men so that you could be part of God's family. He was killed so that you could have eternal life. Jesus offers you and me deliverance. 
He can free you from sin. He can free you from death. And he offers his deliverance, his salvation as a free gift. You don't do anything to earn it. All you have to do is turn away from sin, turn away from trusting in yourself, and turn to Jesus. Trust in his work on the cross. The suffering that we've seen portrayed in Psalm 22. If you believe in him, you will be saved. All who trust in him are forgiven of their sins, washed clean. Trust in the king who suffered for you. (coughs) And when you suffer, when you suffer, Remember the king who suffered for you. When you suffer, remember the king who suffered for you. In this psalm, as we see the king suffering, he remembers. As he's suffering, he remembers how God delivered his people in the past. He remembers how God has been faithful to him since he was in the womb. And this serves as an example for us. This psalm itself is a memorial to how King Jesus suffered in order to deliver his people at the cross. It's a memorial to how God demonstrated his faithful care yet again through King Jesus. So, like Jesus, in your suffering, remember God's deliverance. May we remember how the cross demonstrates God's holy character. Remember the grace that Jesus showed at the cross. Remember the extravagant mercy demonstrated as the Son of God was abandoned and despised and crushed in your place. When you suffer, remember how God looked upon you in your sin and delivered you through Jesus' suffering. And remember that that same God is the God who is choosing not to end your suffering. When you cry out to God for it to stop, when you cry out to God for relief and he doesn't stop the pain, And he doesn't end the suffering. Remember, that is the God who is holy. That is the God who has not stopped being good. All you have to do to remember that the God of your suffering is good is look at the cross and the suffering of the king. Remember that God who is perfect in all of his ways, is the God still on the throne even in our suffering. When you suffer, remember the king who suffered for you. And finally, when you suffer, know that God has a purpose for your suffering. God had a purpose in Jesus' suffering, a holy 
purpose. God let Jesus suffer so that he could bear the wrath that his people deserved. And this encourages us in our suffering in two ways. First, may we remember that if we are in Christ, our suffering is never God's punishment. If we are in Christ, our suffering is never God's punishment. When Jesus was abandoned and despised and crucified, he took the full punishment that our sins deserve. If you are in Christ, when you are in suffering, you can be confident that God's purpose is not to punish you. God does at times discipline us through suffering, but that discipline is not condemnation. That discipline is protection from condemnation. Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty two, when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. When God disciplines us through suffering, he is restoring us back to faith in Christ. But there's even more to the purpose that God has in our suffering. Turn with me to Romans 5, the passage that we began our service with. Romans chapter 5. Look at verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of of God. There is hope of glory. Glory is coming. But before the crown comes the cross. Verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Because Jesus was forsaken on the cross in order to justify us, we can actually rejoice in suffering. Because Jesus suffered for a holy purpose, we can suffer for a holy purpose. We can know that our suffering in Christ produces an endurance that makes us more like Jesus. We can know that our suffering helps strengthen our hope in the glory to come. The cross strengthens our, our, our hope in the cross. The suffering strengthens our hope in the triumph and the victory. And we can be sure that we will not be 
put to shame. Just like Psalm 22.5 says, our fathers were not put to shame. Why? Because if we are in Christ, we have the Holy God in our hearts. Jesus was forsaken so that all who trust in him would never be forsaken. We can endure in suffering for God's holy purpose, knowing that even when God seems distant, even when God seems to be silent, even when God chooses not to end the suffering, He has not forsaken us. He is present with us and in us to make us more like Christ. When you suffer, know God has a holy purpose in your suffering. The king who rules the nations is the king who suffered death. The cross comes before the crown. It was true of Jesus, and it's true for us. And because it was true of Jesus, we can have hope. He was abandoned, so we would never be forsaken. He was ridiculed so we could be saved. He was killed so we could live forever. Even in our suffering, we can find hope in the king who suffered death.